I had a story I ain't never share. Thought it was normal cause they left us here. Just for the voices they will never hear. Walking out the courtroom, cameras everywhere. Yeah, and they say better join them, you can't beat them. Don't believe them cause I went against the odds to make it even. It's deceiving, they say you getting probation. You think you leaving, but they get technical, they give you violations. For even breathing, niggas pleading, they got no money for lawyers. To even feed them, nobody left to raise our sons and our daughters. So they Welcome to Culturally Biased, where we discuss everything in the culture, for the culture, by the culture. Excluding the vultures. I'm your host, O. My Mitch. What's going on, Matt? Up, man, um, right to it. Yeah, we got. That's, that's what we here for we tonight. Got, we got company today. <laughs> yeah, special company. Yeah, it's very, very important topic we're gonna be talking about tonight. Um, we got some get. I got. I can't. What? I can't approach it like that. We got a couple of guests in the building tonight. Um, state your name. Um, my name is Cynthia Alvarado. Uh huh. My name is Chad Wayo. Yeah, so tonight we're going to be talking about, you want to let, let them know what we're talking about tonight? So so first of all, um, I was wrongfully convicted in the city of Philadelphia. Yeah. I was thrown away by my city, sentenced to life without parole. Um, less than 1% of the population wins the appeal that I won. Had I never won or had the resources to fight my case, I would still be inside of prison right now, uh, more than likely dying inside of prison. Mm -hmm. So we're here to talk about that and um, how Pennsylvania does not offer compensation for the wrongfully convicted, and it's horrible. Yes, yes, yes. My situation is similar. I was wrongly convicted to spend 51 years in prison. Wow. Uh, 44 of them about in South Dakota confinement. And uh, they recently... Uh, discovered that the police had withhold evidence that could have resulted in my uh, uh, exoneration if I, if this evidence would have been shown to my lawyer during the trial. Okay. Uh, Is that too... If that, that's most likely often the case, right? Cops just mm -hmm. either don't want to do their job, either being lazy in it or just like, we got who we got, so... I'm not even going to pursue anything else in the case. Sometimes they know that they don't have the person, but they just want somebody because it goes towards their promotions. Oh, okay. So it's more like a... a senator uh, for them to lie mm -hmm. and cheat with wow. evidence. I, if I may elaborate really quick, I think yeah. in uh, Arthur Tedwell's uh, case was something where in the neighborhood, you know, they had a suspect right. who committed the crime, who admitted to committing the crime. However, they were not satisfied with that. They kept right. on interrogating, interrogating, interrogating because they wanted him. You know, right. they, they wanted him for their own reasons and um, they didn't stop until they got that. Right. And it's a Brady violation. They violated his constitutional rights. And not only did they do that, they withheld that evidence that is supposed to be disclosed at court. You know, it's a violation of your your everything, just being right. an American. So I just wanted to make sure that we set that straight for right. the record. For sure. <laughs> just real quick, my fault. Um, do you feel like you were being targeted? Yes, because uh, that was years like, late. Earlier. Did you have any run-ins with the yeah, police yes, prior yes, to yes, Okay, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Later, right. Yeah, years later, I was falsely accused of being involved in a, a gang murder, okay. which I got found not guilty of. Right. But they automatically brought me to the police attentions, and they were interrogating me, trying to force me to say something I didn't have no involvement in. They was upset about that. Yeah, they, they felt like you kept escaping. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. If you got to say that, I don't um, know. So what are you where where are you guys at with it right now? What are you what are, what are, what are you, what, are, what, are, what does it look like right now? What are y'all doing? When you okay, so basically, uh, we obviously suffered major injustices, right? For sure. Um, and we can never forget about that, of and we can not. never forget about the comrades that we left behind. You know, um, we left friends in there, we left right. people that are like our family members, and we know the struggle that they face every day. So even though we're free we're really, really not free because we right. still feel the pain that our comrades are going through. Mm -hmm. So we're on sure. a mission to basically end solitary confinement, which yeah. my comrade endured for 44 years straight as uh -huh. a you know, wrongfully convicted man. Yeah. And um, basically to uh, bring parole eligibility for the lifers who are deserving. Right, right, right. You could speak about that. Yeah, yeah because without life, I mean, with life without parole, they basically deny the person the right to ever rehabilitate themselves. And everybody changes. For sure. The prison was founded on the concept of rehabilitation. Yeah. They're going against everything. It's just about punishment and control. So 44 years in prison. How does that... No, uh, 51 man. years sorry, in prison. Sorry, sorry, excuse me. 51 years yes. in prison. So how does that... Oh, I can't even I, imagine. It was hard for me to imagine it and not yeah. experiencing it because, you know, as years went past, they just 
One day was just like the day before. Mm-hmm. Okay. Especially in South Day Farming. So they just went past, went past. I looked around. I went to prison. I was I just had turned eighteen. I turned eighteen wow. in August. I got locked up in October. And wow. I stayed in prison till I was uh, fifty eight years old. Wow. wow. So how was I'm it just, how was it when you came home? Like Oh, I came home, it was like a, a whole different world. Mm. Completely different world. Yeah. You know, trying to go through the transition. Sylvia helped me. Cynthia helped me. Pointed out the transition. Other folk, other people. Okay, what neighborhood are you from? Around North Philly, uh, around around Brewer and Gerard. Okay, okay. And Cynthia, you're from? Yeah, I'm from the Badlands, North okay. Philadelphia. Um, yeah, really quick, I want to say uh, the system just threw him away. Yeah. You know, not only did they violate his constitutional rights, they locked him in a cage like an animal for 44 years straight, where he went at one point not speaking to a single person for eight months straight, not even right. one word out of his mouth because he had nobody to talk to. That's the system that we're dealing with. Um, mass incarceration is a big fat lie. It doesn't rehabilitate. Right. It only serves to benefit the 1%. And, you know, that's what our message is, is that, you know, uh, what they're doing and what they're telling the public is not what's really happening. They're really right. destroying people in the process. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I mentioned to you earlier about uh, the Kali Broder story. Mm-hmm. So I can only imagine Mm-hmm. You know, with you being locked away for 51 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you got any questions, Mark? Did you want to tell us about your situation or how yes. you were wrongly convicted? Yes, yes, yes. So, first of all, um, I uh, in 2008, I was uh, arrested. I was uh, charged with a second-degree felony murder. That means okay. that in the commission of a felony, somebody dies. And even if you did not commit the second felony, you're still held liable for the first, the predicate felony. Okay. So I was uh, with my little cousin. Uh, We went to a park. Um, Something happened outside of my car. He gets back in my car. We drive away. Um, At that point, I didn't know that a crime had been committed. I went on with my day like a regular, like a regular person. (laughs) When I was arrested, I was arrested for homicide charges. And, um, you know, I went through a state of culture shock. I thought I didn't I couldn't believe what was happening because I was like, I didn't do this, you know. So I, like Cheddar Whale, believed in our system at the time yeah. because I was naive. So I decided to exercise my Sixth Amendment right to a trial, mm-hmm. thinking that I would go home. Right. right. Um, like Cheddar Whale, I was also in solitary confinement. I spent 240 days in there before I was even convicted. Not only did I endure that, I was a product of rape by a prison guard, and the crime went unpunished because of the statutory of limitations on rape. Um, so I fight against a lot of those things because the Me Too movement is leaving us behind, women that are incarcerated, you know? And um, I endured hell. I, I was sentenced to life without parole, and it was like the system just threw me away. That's when I realized that I didn't matter, and everything that I thought I knew as a kid of not feeling like I was good enough was basically affirmed to me on that day. So I'm, I'm guessing when you guys both were incarcerated, y'all couldn't afford a lawyer. Well, no, I, I had a lawyer. However, okay. the problem is, is that when you when you decide to take a jury trial, right? right. Your life is now in the hands of 12 people yes. who know nothing about the law. Right. So you have the best, basically, liar, the best person who presents the best case. So right. even if you do have a good lawyer, you still have to risk the chance that you're going to deal with people that are emotional, right? Yeah. They're supposed to be applying logic. However, we don't have that type of system. We yeah. have a system where we have a lot of biases. You know, I was oppressed for my gender. I was oppressed right. for being on a drug corner, but I was raised on a drug corner. So. Right. I did have an attorney, and sometimes that helps, and sometimes it doesn't. You know, if you are white privileged and you come from resources, you might have not went to trial with charges like me and Chattawayo. So that's where the difference plays in it. Mm -hmm. Okay. You think our um, just our upbringing plays a big part in why we are so like targeted as far as being wrongly not just being wrongly convicted, but just being harassed anyway just on a legal standpoint like huh? like you said you you from badlands you from north philly just those areas you think we most likely are targeted just for being in those areas well, i think it's people in colors being targeted not okay. just them particular areas okay because you got wealthy blacks and latinos talked about they being oppressed living in the suburban areas mm-hmm. subject yeah. to the mm-hmm. same thing now i can say that marginalized communities are basically uh you know are basically oppressed by police right because they're always expecting that we're gonna we're doing the most Mm -hmm. but in a lot of cases we are doing the most because we're stemming from trauma 
yeah. lack of education, lack yeah. of resources, and then you know we have to basically operate on a hundred when society has not given us a hundred. So it's kind of right. like mm-hmm. school to prison pipeline, right? They right. they don't educate us, and they want to just head us straight to prison, and that's yeah. the problem. Do you do you think um, any ways that we can change that? Um, I think that first and foremost, we have to address post-slavery, right? Yes. I think we need to start there to admit that we did something really wrong. Right. And we need to start not only showing compassion, but we need to start changing the paradigm on how we look at people in prison, right? Not as being a threat, but as people that are being criminalized for being poor. Yeah. For, for, you know, not having the right mindset to even do things or operate. And I think that until we start addressing that and really make some real changes, we're never going to be able to heal. Because, you know, changing laws here and there, you know, it does, it does help, but it doesn't help enough. You right. know, I think we need like a mass, mass change where we're going to say, you know what, we're just going to release a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. And you're right. going to have a lot of people in the public that are going to be extremely scared. However, we cannot operate on fear to keep people oppressed because right. it's it's perpetuating ho- things that are happening like his story. Right. You know, we're operating from fear when in reality this man was wronged by the system. Right. So we have to take chances and we have to go forward and we have to do it very boldly. Yes. On, yes. on both of y'all's part, What's the to go back real quick? What's the mindset of when you like in that courtroom and then the judge throws life at you? Like you hear that sentence, you like it. I sent you to life. To me, it was like the worst thing that I could ever hear in my life. It was so traumatic. And also, like I didn't do it. Like what the? Well, I snapped. I snapped. I started throwing chairs at him Mm because I just couldn't imagine going to prison for something I didn't do Mm -hmm. and then being sent to life in prison. Um, it was terrible. I just, I just couldn't accept that, and my impulse just led me to just throwing chairs at him. Your reaction, of, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Which is completely I, understandable. Yeah. I think what my, what my experience was a little bit different because I realized early on in the county that I was being charged for something I did not do. Right, so I knew that I was facing a, a trial that that was I was fighting for my life for something I did not do. Right. So right. I was sitting in the chair and I kind of like had an attitude. I'm like I'm being judged for something I did not do. However, because it is a mandatory sentence, I still must go before this jury and risk the chance. But I felt like honestly, like my whole world just went cold. Like I felt right. like the system just threw me away, and everything that that I did good in my life didn't matter. You know, right. nothing nice was mentioned about me at trial. And I was a very kind person before I went to trial. So I was basically judged on like 10 seconds of something that happened in my life yeah. where I didn't even have a chance to explain because I was afraid to prejudice myself. So I played the fifth. OK. You know what I mean? I, I've had several friends that have been incarcerated and I've been a, a lot of trials. So I see the picture that. They have a police officer that's there that's be, to be a witness. Mm-hmm. The district attorney paints a picture mm-hmm. of, of you. So I know that has to be a crazy feeling. Mm. Um, it's the worst. Yeah, because um, so during, during, like, during all that, uh, like, how were you feeling? Like, what was the... You, you're talking about after I was convicted? Yeah. So I, I can say, like, to be honest, I just wanted to just die. Right. Like, when I was convicted, I... I held it together at court because I didn't want my mom to suffer. You know, right. like I see my mom crying. It makes me emotional. But I just like I didn't want to give them that. I didn't want to cry there. But when I got right. back to my cell, I just just bawled and bawled and bawled. And I was transferred to solitary confinement because I was going to be shipped upstate. Right. And I went into a state of depression where I wasn't showering. I wasn't eating. Mm. You know, I literally was like, damn, I'm never going to see my kids. I'm and never- it hit you quick, that de- that depression state? It, it hit me immediately. Yeah. It was immediate. It was immediate and it was comfortable. That's what, what was so dangerous mm-hmm. about it. Like, I was okay with not showering. I was okay with not eating. Like, I was okay with, like, damn, like, I'm done. My life you, is over. Right. Because you're to the point where uh, those amenities that I that I do when I was free is like, I don't know. I no longer care. Like, who am I about to, who am I doing this I for? I was preparing. I, I was preparing for my next reality, mm-hmm. right? And I didn't know my next reality. I was a lifer now. I was going to a state prison, so where I was leaving this one reality, I was having to morph into the next reality, but I wasn't ready to do that emotionally, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, how many trials in either of your cases, how many <laughs> trials did it take into <laughs> Wait, wait. Let's let's. Is that a joke? We don't get a lot of new trials. Like, I, like I had, because like I, I say that because uh, my cousin's in the same situation, and mm-hmm. he went through like 
he went to like uh, I think three, oh, maybe two or three trials. He had a hung jury the first mm, one. Okay, I see what you mean from the beginning stages. Yeah. Oh. So that's why I mean like the yeah. whatever multiple was one trials are just one trial. Mine was one trial. trial. How many trial. days? How many days? Yeah, about maybe four or five days. Mm-hmm. Pick the jury we had a witness on. Yeah, about four or five days. Do y'all remember how y'all, y'all like your jury was? Mm-hmm. Like do y'all like though? I can't remember. You can't jury. remember? <laughs> how about you? I remember mine. I remember picking them. Okay. You know, and I remember like uh, my the my lawyer asked one and the prosecutor asked him, can you render a life sentence? And he was like, I can never render a life sentence. I can never. And I was like, why would you say that? Like, I needed you on my jury. Like, right. So the process of picking them and seeing where their mind was, that was crazy. But, you know, having to sit before them and they yeah. really knew nothing about me. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just so unfair. I felt like I was in a boxing match with my hands tied to the side and I just was being punched by the prosecutor over and over and over. Yeah, because they paint you, their job is like, yeah. they paint you as a monster, the basically. The person in the world. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, then as a as somebody sitting at the trial, mm-hmm. when you like, just be biased against your own family or whatever, mm-hmm. you, you know this person you, and you know the situation is like, that's not him or her at all. Mm-hmm. And it's like, damn, they're this, Practically lying. A lot of time it is like that. It's the, they be lying because they don't really use the uh, person prosecution of misconduct mm-hmm. as a major issue that result in new trials. In fact, they don't water it down, say it's a harmless error. Mm-hmm. And oh, so wow. they can say what they want to say and they okay. get you convicted. And now, sometimes, of course, you have other issues combined with that. You might have a chance to get a new trial. Right. Re- really quick. So in my case, um, my prosecutor committed prosecutorial misconduct, right? Okay. Uh, the jury asked a question. So my trial was a week, right? They right. deliberated for three days, which was a sign that they were not sure if I was guilty or right. not, right? Because usually, like, if they, if they feel they like come they're guilty, fast. they come back fast. Yeah. Yes, but because they were deliberating, they were engaging in thought, right? right? But they were not thinking about my co-defendant. They were asking questions about me. Right. So, so the last question that they asked, right, was, does aiding after the fact constitute accomplice liability? So the legal response to that is no. You cannot be an accomplice for solely aiding after a crime was committed. So instead of the judge answering no like she was supposed to, she allowed the prosecutor to interject using the sufficiency of evidence argument. Meaning, Your Honor, there was enough evidence to to suggest that she was an accomplice. Now, the jury never asked you about the evidence. So she starts to bend the truth, which is prosecutorial misconduct. She broke the law. She violated my rights, and she gave the jury a response to something that they did not ask. Okay. So it persuaded the judge, and that's how I was convicted. Because okay. before that last you know, instruction was given, there was two other verbal ones. The okay. last one, the judge decided to write. Right. Supreme Court bars for that from happening because the jury speculates without guidance is very dangerous right. because they're not lawyers. And then when they have a written instruction as opposed to verbal ones, they weigh it as being more. Right. So not only, you know, that that was a violation, but it wasn't as big as to how she responded right. to them. You know, so they basically convicted me for aiding after the fact, not knowing that I was going to receive life without parole for that. So it's a very big problem, really quick, because mandatory sentences, the the jurors are no longer there. Right. So they're done. So they didn't even know I was going to get life because right. my sentence is mandatory. So it's a it's a miscarriage of justice, and it's something that needs to be talked about more. And you, like you said, it's, it seems like that the um, prosecutors were basically aiding the jurors to like against you. With yeah, that, that's with their that job. Whole, with their whole, yeah. um, you know. Yeah. And jury instruction. Jury instruction. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so the jury. So when the jurors ask questions, it's because they're confused, right? Right. Because if not, they would just come straight and say, "You know what? She's guilty." Right. Now, I found out later. My story was very miraculous. One of my jurors, right, who sat on the jury was a man, and um, he happens to be married to a sociologist, criminologist, Dr. Joe McCorkle, who did a TED Talk on my case. Okay. She's not the reason that I'm out. I'm the, the reason that I'm out is because I won my federal habeas petition because I appealed it all the way up. Okay. However, her husband was a juror that kept asking those questions because okay. what, I, what I found out later, because he reached out to me, he was like, I want to help you get out. Right. You know, it was bothering his conscience. He didn't know I had life. But what I found out later was that the women on my jury were very biased. They just wanted to convict me. And as a feminist, Mm. you know, that really hurt my feelings Mm. because I felt like I was being oppressed for having physical attributes. I was being oppressed for being a Latina. 
for being on a drug corner and for not, you know, being a hundred. You know what I mean? And when I heard that, I was like, damn, like they were really, they were ready to just shit me up. And I'm not saying that all women are bad because I'm a feminist. But in my situation, the women were ready. They just wanted to drop the hammer on me. And it was him that kept saying, I don't want to send her up. I don't think she did this. Had it never been for him being so inquisitive, I would have never had such a great issue on appeal. Okay. So I want to thank him. I thank you, Brad, if you're listening. Mm-hmm. But um, did I, you said not the reason that you got off? But did uh, Jill McCorkle play any part? Okay, in, so I have uh, to I have to set the record straight. So there was a lot of uh, uh, miscommunication in the media. Um, my federal habeas petition was already into the federal courts when she reached out to me. Okay. So if that makes any sense. The hard work, I already already did it, right? You did the legwork. I I did the legwork. I happen to have one of the best attorneys in Philadelphia, Susan M. Lynn, who who belongs to the Rodowski firm, who is top-notch Philly, right? Right. So these are brilliant thinkers. Now, I can say that after about 11 years of being incarcerated, Dr. McCorkle reaches out to me with a letter of saying, you, I believe you were wrongfully convicted. I want to help you get out. And I thought that was amazing because my prayers at the time when I was religious, I'm no longer religious today, okay. was that God would uh, touch the hearts of my jurors, right? right? So I basically got that. So it put pressure on the district attorney. So her and her students gathered information that I had a dirty detective on my case, Ronald Dove, who was convicted of covering up a crime scene for his mm. girlfriend who murdered her boyfriend. He cleaned it all up. Mm. Okay. Yet I was upstate with life without parole. So they were very instrumental in putting pressure on the media and on the district attorney's office. I'm not sure if it offered any relief because I already had one in my federal habeas petition. Am I? Did I respond? Yeah. And to your situation, um, what? Who? Who basically? Or did you also do the same thing? Did you push petitions in? Yes, I filed appeals and all that. Okay. The time my, uh, I didn't go to school, so I was not real well educated. Right. And then I was really, really young. So I went in, they gave me a couple of public defenders that really wasn't that good. Right. right. So I ended up going to South Dakota Farmer. At the time, South Dakota Farmer was like, you didn't get but 10 pieces of writing paper, 10 envelopes for mm-hmm. a month. So I didn't not be able to appeal a whole lot of it. So a lot of my pills was just lost. Time so, barred? Yes, yeah, so I got time bar. yes. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was, I, well, I was in South Dakota Farmer. A friend of mine was in South Dakota Farmer. He was getting out of South Dakota Farmer because he had these lawyers represent him. So we asked a lawyer to look at my case for me. Okay. So the lawyer looked at my case and said, took the federal court. Federal court ruled that keeping me in South Dakota Farmer that long was a cruel no usual punishment. Okay. So after that, he said, well, look, what's about your street case? I, t- I explained to him what well, I didn't really know much about it because I had lost some appeals and all that. He said, let me check it out. So he doing this research, and he found out that there in police in the police administration building, they were full evidence that could have gave the jury another look at the case and said, "Well, maybe this guy wasn't involved in this mm-hmm. at all." Right. And so they withholded that, not to okay. the day off there was in the police administration building. So when the integrity unit came about under Krasner, they started viewing on cases like that, and they reviewed my case. They went and found the information that that was kept down in the police administration. Like since said earlier, there was a Brady violation. Right. Which means that you had to get a new trial dismissed with the charges because mm-hmm. the jury would have heard that maybe it came with a different decision. Okay. Really, really quick, to elaborate on his thing, this wasn't just any evidence. Right. This was statements stating that somebody else committed the crime. Right. So this is exculpatory evidence. Like, you know, like, how that does, was how does that even so this like statements we like can can be completely off mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. brady brady versus maryland basically states that you have to disclose anything that you have right right so the prosecutors had this but they don't always disclose it right they they did the same thing in my case the star witness against me she was offered immunity for the case she was involved in with right. us and then she got another case two months before my trial she was facing two to ten years of state they withheld that from me as well now i knew that wasn't i didn't find that out till like 10 years after i was in prison right that wasn't probably the strongest evidence to help me win. My jury instruction was complete uh, violation of my due process. However, right. you know, them withholding her criminal, you know, pending conviction, right, that was resolved about a week after I was convicted, did not allow me to cross-examine her. My 14th Amendment was violated under, right. you know, uh, to impeach her credibility. Mm. That's no. tough. I, um, so, mm. we're, at Culturally Bias, we're, we're big on mental health. Oh. Mm. So, 
the long sentences that you guys faced, how are y'all, how is y'all mental health today? Okay, so I'm going to start by saying that I'm very intelligent. Right. Because I think a lot of people have this line, you know, especially in the courtroom. If you can come up with a plan, that means that nothing's wrong with you. Right. And that's a line that we need to change because there's people that are very intelligent mm-hmm. that suffer from a lot of mental health issues. Right. So where I can come up with a plan and I can help get myself get out of a situation, I battle a lot of suicidal thoughts. I right. battle a lot of depression, a lot of right. anxiety. I'm a very strong woman. Right. But it, every day is a struggle. It wears on you. It, it, wear, it wears on me and I'm constantly fighting. Right. Every day I'm in survival mode because right. that's what I did for 12 years. Yeah. Always paranoid that the cops were going to come in and kill me, right? right? Because my co-defendant escaped from the jail where we were being held at. Right. So I had to live with that fear. You know, I was raped in jail. I was physically right. beat. When my co-defendant escaped, I was physically beat by the female guards and I was raped by the male guard. Jeez. So, yeah, it's it's very, very horrible. I'm sorry, but it's like what they did to me is something that can never be taken back. And right. even though they gave me my life back, I'm not the same person. You right. know what I mean? Like, I witnessed a lot of my comrades, you know, hanging themselves. Right. Some have even put bags over their head, lifers, suffocated themselves. So it's a lot of trauma that could have been avoided. Yeah. I'm sure, like, Ted Whale, right? You could elaborate on your mm-hmm. trauma. Yeah. Mine was just similar. Because what was worse in terms of mm-hmm. back in the 70s, the prisons was way more repressive. Right. I don't witness dudes getting beat to death by guards and with no kind of repercussions at all. Me, myself, I got injured a few times. I had fractured skull, got broken ribs, got broken jaw, got broken wrists. Mm-hmm. And but nothing happened to them because back then, most of the guards were middle-aged white guys. They were blatantly racist. Mm-hmm. Sure. And they would do anything they wanted to do, and there was no repercussions because nobody really cared. Damn. So I suffered from a whole lot of anxiety. Same thing, depression. Sometimes, A lot of times I wanted to just give up. Nice to say a lot of times that I'd rather go ahead and just fight to the death as opposed to just sitting here dying little by little every single day. Right. And, and it I, got so bad, my whole sense of imagination was gone. I mean, I was sitting, all I could think about at one point, I guess after about 30-something years, is the South Day from, I couldn't even think outside of what mm, it means to be right. outside of this cell. Because, you know, right. you just married, you've been in a loose cell about the size of your bedroom. The mic. And about the size of the bedroom. And that's all. Every right. day, the same thing. We, 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 went, we went in the yard five days a week, took showers three days a week, and other Saturday and Sunday, you're in your cell 24 hours a day. Right. And that's what your whole existence be like that. And I'm pretty sure just it weighing on your mental health, being inside there, because y'all constantly seeing awful shit. Yeah. Like, at it's close proximity. of It's, all, it's, it's like really can't go nowhere. So... Whatever's awful is going on is right there in your face, mm-hmm. and like I said, it's it's constant. So I like we can't imagine mm-hmm. it's every day. Like I said, hangings, mm-hmm. getting beaten up, yeah, getting and sexually assaulted. She made a assaulted. good point about uh survival mode. You've been survival mode all day. You know that takes its toll on you because mm-hmm. yeah. all day long you thinking something's going to happen to you, mm-hmm. so you are hyped up. Yeah. You can't never relax. Right. Never. Right. Yeah. So you're always in survival mode. That takes its toll on your mental health you and your physical health as well, too. Because you got to watch out for yeah, every little the employees thing. are yeah. also the inmates yeah. that's also in there with you. So Really, really quick. So not only are you subjected to a very hostile environment, you also have to live with your mind. Right. Every day you wake up, you're like, I'm a lifer. Yeah. I'm not going home. Yeah. My family's dying off. I can't make the funeral because the state doesn't allow me to. Are my kids going to die? Is my mom going to die? You know, am I going to die in here from cancer like a lot of my comrades? You know, yeah. so many thoughts. It's not just the environment. It's your own mind. You are trapped inside of a place mm-hmm. and you are separated from society, your family, from your identity. Right. You're given clothes that don't belong to you. To have a state number, you know, I'm not going to say that it's like the Holocaust, but we were labeled nobodies. Mm. You know, I was I was labeled nothing. And that if you're not strong, that could really, really mess you up. Right. So I know you both you guys are familiar with the 13th Amendment. Absolutely. Can I get your feelings on that? Yeah. So the 13th Amendment, first of all, it's it's like an oxymoron. Right. Because they talk about liberation, yet they're talking about enslaving people all in the same sentence. Um, I worked for 19 cents an hour, uh, 130 hours a month. I mean, a week. uh, I'm sorry, a month. And I was paid $19. And on days that I didn't feel like going to work, 
I had I had no choice but to go to work because if right. not, I was going to be giving a misconduct. Right. And because I was a lifer, they had that leverage over me because even though a lot of people have a misconception that lifers don't have much to lose, right. it's complete opposite. I have to show to the courts that I'm a human being, right. that I'm perfect, that right. it's a mistake. Right. So where like Chattawayo and, and men have different experiences as a woman, I knew that they were going to be watching me with a scope. Mm-hmm. And even though I was innocent in there, I still felt guilty every day. Right. So I had to defend against somebody that I, I wasn't even that person. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it was yeah, horrible. Yeah. It's a nightmare. This is why I do what I do. This is why I will never shut up about it because yeah. I don't want our next generation to go in there. Yeah. You know, and I want our comrades to come out. Mm-hmm. Period. There is no no reason why people are not being released because people can change. Right. For sure. For sure. What um what got you into what what was enough was enough to where when you finally came home you were like, Oh, I'm gonna do everything oh, honey, in my power no, no, to no. get this everybody. happened in the county. And then you became yeah, this, okay. became a, yeah, yeah. a jailhouse lawyer basically. Yeah, I was the moment that I encountered the chains, I hit the law, law clinic. Okay. Okay. At the moment that I encountered the police, I knew that this was very serious. Right. I had capital murder charges, meaning that if I would have went to trial with capital murder charges, I could have gotten the death penalty. Right. So this was very serious. I started to educate myself from the very beginning. I did not become, you know, a, a, a person, a thinker like myself right. overnight. This is somebody that has been fighting this fight for a long time. Like my comrade here, we've been fighting this fight for a very long time. We surrounded ourselves with like-minded thinkers. We are revolutionary thinkers. Right. Mm-hmm. And we basically do not want to accept what society tells us. And a lot of times we're labeled as radical when we're really just fighting for liberation. Right. So getting out, getting back to your regular lives, mm-hmm. what do y'all want from the system now? Well, basically I want, and for me as well as all the other wrongly convicted people, is to get confiscated and to deter them from ever doing other people like this. All right, before I got some notes I want to read <laughs> off. So according to the, the National Registry of Exoner, Exonerations, since 1989, there have been 291 wrongly, wrongfully convicted men and women in 14 states without such compensation laws mm-hmm. of those. Pennsylvania accounts for 103 exoneraries. Mm-hmm. Since December 2018, Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krisner has overseeing 22 exonerations of 21 individuals, one of whom was wrongly convicted and, mm. and uh, exonerated in two separate murder cases. Mm. So John Roof, the communication director for Krizner's office, told CNN in a statement that it is simply a matter of fairness mm. that when a criminal justice system gets it wrong and a person loses their freedom due to the police and prosecutionary misconduct, that an effort to repair the harm can, causes me compensation to wrongfully incarcerated and convicted individuals is more than an obligation of justice. Mm-hmm. It is another tool by which the public may be held elected officials accountable. So I'm going to elaborate on that. So first of all, that's federal statute that was uh, endorsed by uh, George, George, right? The president, George yeah. Bush. And um, what it does is basically allow the states to offer compensation. Right. 36 states decided to jump on board. Pennsylvania, right. however, did not. Mm-hmm. The problem with the statute is the word exonerate, right? right. Because wrongfully convicted and exonerated is two separate things, right? right? We were wrongfully convicted. However, we were not exonerated. Right. Now, exoneration just means, you know, changing our degrees of homicide where they changed our degrees of homicide and let us, you know, they freed us. Right. However, they never uh, made it official in the courtroom. Okay. So we are not, you know. So y'all still have that record. Well, yeah, we, yeah. We, so basically, we were both granted new trials, right? right? Now, once we endured the system, we did not want to go back in front of the system, For right? Sure. We could have went to trial, got, got found out guilty, right? Mm-hmm. Went home. However, we were just lifers, right? right? I had a dirty cop, and I had enough evidence to win my case. He had exculpatory evidence, right? However, we pled out, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the the point is that I'm trying to make is that. The, the word exonerate is hindering people from being compensated. Okay. Once you are, once they identify that they granted you a new trial, it's constitutional error. Okay. That right there is a wrongful conviction. So the word exonerated should not be tied to the compensation. Okay. So by you like fighting to get out with you two to where it's like the state basically, I guess, saw something in their case. So they no, freedom. no, no. The difference is, is they, they opted to go to trial. 
Uh-huh. And when you opt to go to trial and you get found not guilty, now you go in front of a judge and you're exonerated, right? right, right. Me and my comrade here did not decide to go back to trial because the first time that we went to trial, we were hammered. So we pled out to get out of a prison, of jail, because they they don't drop the charges. You win win a new trial, and you would think that they say, you know what, we're going to drop the charges, go home. That doesn't happen because now they're avoiding lawsuits. Had they dropped his his charges and my charges, major civil lawsuits, so they leave the homicide charges pending, which forces people into signing murder deals. That's what it done to me. They say, look, it told me, they say, look, you had life for first-degree murder. We wanted to give you 10 to 20 for second for third-degree murder. You're going on right now today. Now, if you want to go back to trial, it'd be next year sometime because the COVID and all things, the courts are all jammed up. So next year sometime, you'll go to trial. Mm-hmm. That's not a guarantee that you're going to go to trial and get found innocent. Okay. But this is a guarantee that if you go along with this deal, sometime today, you'll be released to the streets. My family said, look, we want you home bad. 51 years is enough. We don't care. We just want you home. Right. You won't have, they tell me, you won't have no probation, no parole, none of that, because you've done 51 years. Right. So we let you go home today. I decided to take that because I wanted to go home today. I didn't want to wait to go to trial and then hope that I get found not guilty. Okay, I get what you're saying now. So basically, this is what they're doing, right? They're, they're prosecuting people illegally, right? Mm-hmm. We basically got lucky because less than 1% wins the appeal that I won. Right. Larry Krasner is in there, so we love him, right? Mm-hmm. However, that doesn't really happen that often. So what happens is we got relief. My whole life sentence was thrown out, right? right? Instead of them dropping the charges or charging me appropriately to what you know they probably thought I did, they left the murder charges pending, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to think, being in prison, your mind starts to bend, right? Yeah. You have a perception, distor- distortion perception, and you're not the same person. You're afraid. Right. to go through that again. So what they're doing is they're basically forcing people into murder deals. Even if they did not, like felony murder basically states I did not commit a crime. Right. So for me to plead to a murder deal is basically me saying I did something I didn't mm-hmm. do. Right. But it's what they're doing now. It's it's becoming the new norm. It's horrible. And we're going to make sure that it changes. Yeah. So yeah, say what I mean. I went from first degree murder the third degree murder, which it was no third degree murder when I got locked up. It wasn't nothing. It was voluntary manslaughter and manslaughter. But they was all like, we don't care. So I'm just going to change it. Yeah, take this to the court. Because here's like she was saying, they do not want people to be able to file a lawsuit against them because they, they didn't have to charge you again. They could say, okay, we're going to drop the charges. No, they wasn't going to do that because they had, they had a number of articles in the papers how the city is being bankrupt by these wrongful convictions. Right. So, they put pressure on them. Look, you got to offer dudes a deal. We don't care. Let them go home. As long as they don't get a whole lot of money. I was, that's how they get around a lot I'm of that. sorry to interrupt you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to go back to trial, right? Because uh-huh. my homicide detective was fired. Right. He was covered up a whole murder scene. I could have won. Right. It shows you the mind of a person that is afraid of the system that they were prosecuted before, right? So my point is that when I told my lawyer, you know what? I could fight this and I could get the degrees down to third and I could eventually have time served even if I go back to trial. But they were going to make me wait another year. They wanted me to go back upstate. And I was like, well, I could wait it out in the county. I could see my family. Oh, no, no. Your state property still. I'm like, how? When my sentence was vacated. Right. That it just goes to show it's all tied to slavery. Yeah. This is why we must address post-slavery. And then we must dismantle prison. That, this is why I'm an abolitionist. Not because right. I want everybody to go free. Because the root of it, it's evil. It's demonic. And it needs to be dismantled. It's crazy because all of like the prosecutors, the police, they all seem dirty. Yeah. And it's like no no punishment is handed down to them. No, no. Yeah, cause what, That's it, only recently they've done that. Yeah, because what like it was like a couple of them that got uh fired yeah. not too long ago. Yeah, a bunch they, they of, a bunch of DAs, yeah. 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 They're crashing them, he got rid of a lot of them corrupt yeah. pro- uh, uh, DAs. Let's give a shout out. First of all, I want to shout out Larry Krasner. I love you and I thank you. Um, We gathered up when we were upstate lifers to make sure Mm -hmm. that he was voted in there. Right. Uh, Philadelphia has the most lifers in Pennsylvania. So our vote is what our families got him in there. Right. Right. Um, He was a civil rights attorney for 38 years before uh, he became a defense attorney. And so he's seen all the corruption that the city already had done. Mm -hmm. So he in order to make the change, he needs to be in the building. So we must commend him and thank him Mm -hmm. where nobody's perfect. He's doing an amazing job. We support him and we love him in Philly. And if it hadn't ever been for him, you know, the the 20 plus men would have never been exonerated. You know, so no, I just think about to say in this, you know, the 20 plus men, 
But also, there's more people in there yeah. that's still yes, yes. wrongly convicted that yeah. we still need no. to fight for mm-hmm. and, and you know, bring awareness to their situation. Mm-hmm. So, 51 years of your life gone. Yes. 11 of yours. 12. 12, sorry. Mm-hmm. It's okay. How much is that worth? I would say that... Because I feel like you can't put a price tag. Yeah, I was going to say, you cannot put a price tag. Listen, when I was upstate, I lost my brother. Right. Me and my brother were like a year apart. He was my love. Right. I couldn't see my brother when he died. That shit really, like, just broke me. Right. Worse than my life sentence. Right. You know, I had to live without my children. My children Mm -hmm. don't know me. They're being raised by my mother, you know, and her husband. I lost everything. Right. You know, so I don't think we could put a price tag... If I had to aim, I'd bankrupt them. (laughs) If I had to put a price tag on it, it would be probably some shit that Jeff Bezos is worth, right? right? So realistically, they're not going to give us that. But we want to make sure that we hold them accountable to the the maximum degree of punishment so that it deters them from doing this to our next generation. Yeah, because like you said, them not uh, compensating people in the state, you basically got to sue them. You yes. basically have to bring yeah. a lawsuit against mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why they wanted us to plead guilty. Yeah. Offering the deals. Rub, like yeah. Yeah. Here, they, I've got, got, done 31 years over the sentence I got. Mm-hmm. So I got 10 to 20, but I got 51. I've done 51 years. So what about the 31 years? Right. They were like, well, you know. You know, there nobody cares. No big thing. <laughs> you out, so you supposed to be happy. Yeah, that's, yeah, all, they, yeah, that's all they want. So really, really Cheap quick, yeah. relief was granted, right? Mm. However, we have ongoing injury. Right. On, on, on ongoing injury with him not being able to have an imagination. Right. Me always constantly afraid because when you have a life sentence and you encounter the police the first time, you're always afraid. You don't know what's going to happen. Are they going to put this on you? Are they going to come in your room? Are they going to, you know, sabotage your appeals? You're constantly afraid. Right. You know, so we're never going to be the same people. They damaged us. Our city threw us away and they need to be held accountable. And we're not going to stop until they compensate us, but not only compensate us, all of our comrades that were wrongfully convicted without the word exoneration next to it. Yeah, because that's make it as a deterrent. They won't do to other people. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Going for it. Yeah. Because if you don't punish them, they're going to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Can uh, you tell me a little bit about Maria Rodriguez? Oh, my God. So Maria Rodriguez is one of my comrades. Um, I was upstate with her. Right. Um, I actually did all of my time with her. She was a person um, around the war on drugs. She, um, from what she told me, had an addiction, got into an argument with a guy. Shit went sideways. It wasn't an intentional killing at all. Um, It was something that today she would have probably received like 10 to 24. She's been in prison for almost 40 years. I advocate for her strongly. I made reels about her. Um, I've even got traction from the lieutenant governor about her case. You know, Um, she's more than deserving. She was denied a public hearing. She got all five no's. Right. And their Mm -hmm. excuse is that there was a broken window that happened 30 years ago. It just goes to show how biased our system is, especially as a Latina. Right. Because we have such a binary world. It's so black or so white, Mm -hmm. so blue or so red. And we're lost in the middle. And um, I hope that I am a voice for Maria Rodriguez. And I hope that my uh, my activism work is enough to um, sway them the next time. And to hold Shapiro and John Fetterman accountable for voting no that time. Because it basically what they said is we don't care about Latinas. We don't care about women. Mm-hmm. And we care about a broken window that happened 30-something years ago when I'm sure John Fetterman and Shapiro ha- have done some worse things than a broken freaking window. Right. How many people are, are you advocating for? I advocate for anybody that has life without parole. Because life without parole means that you cannot change. It's un-American and it doesn't offer rehabilitation because for you to be rehabilitated, you must show that you're rehabilitated. And by you not being released means that you're not given a chance to be rehabilitated. You're being warehoused. Now, I advocate. I love all of my comrades I left behind. Yeah. Those are like my sisters. You know, right. these are people that I have, I have grown to love. Right. That I had to leave behind. And on the day that I left, it was bittersweet. Right. I was happy that I was leaving, but it's like my heart was like, yeah. yeah. You know, I couldn't bring them with me. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I can't bring them with me to meals or for like when I, when I dress up. These are friends of mine, like Rose Dinkins has, has been in there for 50 years. Yeah. 50 years. She's 4'11". 50 years. You know, my friend Kyra Clardy, Gail Starworth, Maria Rodriguez, Heather Lavelle. I love them all. Sheena right. King. I want to see all of them home. Even Terry Harper, who was a police officer. Right. You know, who got involved into some shady shit. And I even still believe that she deserves a second chance, even though police are questionable to me. Right. You know, have you have you helped anyone? Um, 
release well, been released well I, I, if you're from Pennsylvania you know the process is not that easy okay. <laughs> it's getting people out of jail in Pennsylvania this is a fight like cause like you said he well, did you know 51 in Europe it, so it, hey, it doesn't me, happen let me, let me <laughs> cut in for a second I think that people look at like Meek and his reform thing <laughs> they think it's just like it's a game yeah, it's, it's, a, it's like a fast legislatively so so Kim Kardashian was able to assist on a federal level because she was friends with Ivanka Trump, right? Right. Presidents have the authority to commute on a federal level. Right, yeah, they do not different. on a state right. level. Right. Now she came to Pennsylvania. She had lunch with Fetterman and his wife. She got like two or three guys out. But to get them all out, you must go legislatively mm. or you must commute them all. And that's not going to happen. It's not enough. Celebrity, right. we need legislative change yeah. on, a, right. on a whole. We should do it on a, all 50 states. And we right? got two right. bills right now and, and before them to try to get to get it. Uh, pro eligibility for lifers. That's mm-hmm. not saying HB they don't let them go. Mm-hmm. If you meet the criteria, then you can be eligible for okay, parole. Right. Because they're uh, just saying that's it, it for you. There ain't yeah, nothing. Yeah, no, nothing. You and like she said, parole. No. Like she said, if you tell a person that they can't be rehabilitated, that's really going against nature too. Because everybody can be rehabilitated, and everybody know when you're young and you've done something, you won't do the same thing 20, 30 years mm-hmm. down the line. You yeah. mature. Right. They basically deny saying no, that's not possible. Yeah. Cause we um we we took an interest in you because um Thank you. Uh, a friend of mine's reached out to you, uh, Nathan Ramirez, mm. his brother uh, Ethan uh, Ramirez mm. is doing a life sentence no parole for uh, mm. a shooting at Hunting Park over twenty years ago. Horrible. And um, we just wanted to bring it to your attention because we yeah. know that's what you're on. Yeah. And uh, Montreal, yeah, I have um my cousin is also was in um. Involved in a shooting he didn't do yeah. in um, South Philly, and that mm-hmm. was like back in 2008. So, no, it was like 2007. He was convicted. He was mm-hmm. he turned himself in, and he was prosecuted like 2008, 2009. So he's he's been spending. Um, they gave him life without parole, mm-hmm. and he's been in there since um, probably like 11, 10, 11 so years now. Let me just elaborate a little bit as to what we do on the grassroots. Right, uh, okay. we are tied with Human Rights Coalition. Um, straight ahead organization, Abolitionist Law Center. Basically, we fight to change the laws, right? right. So we have a team of lawyers had to have gotten Chet Awayo out of solitary confinement. That right. is Abolitionist Law Center. Okay. He They won his federal appeal to get him out of solitary, right? Right. When you win cases on a federal level like that, it has a trickle-down effect on a state level. It doesn't happen fast right. enough, but it's happening. Okay. You know, they're talking right now about really ending second-degree felony murder. So if that happens... That means that a lot of people who did not commit shootings, right, that were accomplices, will have a chance of parole eligibility. More than likely, they will be paroled. That's what we're fighting for. We are fighting that everybody gets parole, right? Right. But we have to knock this out on a block-by-block level. We have to do it on a commutation level, right? right? They need to commute more people. We need to legislatively make sure that these lawmakers are voting to change these laws, and then we have people like myself who advocates nonstop, you know. Right. I managed to get a lot of traction from very influential people just by right. talking. And I believe that where I can't probably bring all our comrades home, right. I'm definitely going never I'm never going to shut up about it yeah. until people like Nathan is out, mm-hmm. people like your cousin, because they are more than deserving. And there's yeah. a lot of innocent people in jail. Yeah. And it's horrible and it really, really hurts me that I'm home. And they cannot enjoy what I'm like. Really, that hurts me. Yeah. Even though I'm free, like we live with that shit because yeah. we endured it. So we know. I know Nathan struggle, and where I wish I could help them all, I don't have the celebrity status where I could just release them. Yeah. You know, I do I it more on a grassroots understand. level, yeah. and um, we do it more on a on a way where it's gonna like I used to be on the chair of Fight for Lifers when I first came home, right? Right. And I would get a lot of families like, hey, my family members in there, and course i want to help everybody yeah but we would tell them we are doing things on a legislative level so that everybody could get out and this is how you tackle these issues we must hold them accountable it might seem cliche but the more that we push the more that we push we could bring this change in pennsylvania so how can we help y'all so this part of what y'all doing right now okay you're affording us the opportunity to reach out to people and explain about cases but also you must hold legislators accountable right you must bring them on the show and say listen where do you stand with life without parole how would you vote you know you must get them to engage in those in those type of dialogues because once they're engaging in then they're held accountable 
Right. Once they're held accountable, if they don't do something about it, then that's how you hold leverage over them. You must ask them where they stand. How are they going to vote? You know, and then we must go into rural areas or areas that are not, you know, pro releasing people and change their minds. Mm -hmm. And it's very right. hard to do because they don't understand us. It's us and them. Right. So it's a it's a constant work. It's never ending. Right. There's not one solution. Right. And where we want to, you know, put a bandaid on a on a big cut, it, it doesn't happen like that. And that's why we're here, and that's why we've dedicated our lives to this type of work because we understand how serious it is. Yeah, and we also want to get get the word out. Like that's why bringing you, oh, you. bringing you two up here, it can definitely try yeah. to springboard um, some you. sort of awareness to what's going on. Because exactly. it's not just you two. No, it's not just the people that we know. It's a lot of families. a lot of people that's yeah. like sitting behind bars. Like every every other month, you read you see the newspaper that they let mm -hmm. somebody out. That was wrongly convicted, and there's, there's so many shootings going on now. And I, I know I and it's a, a lot bad of, time. Yeah, it's a bad time, and I know there's yeah. a lot of wrongly convicted yeah. kids as well. Yeah. So I know, like, well, me and a number of people, we take, we are uh, having some meetings about how can we contribute to stopping a lot of that. Yeah. So I used to be from street gangs growing up. I was 15, 16, 17. I was from street gangs. So I know how that that mentality operate. Right. Wasn't we wasn't like these guys that shooting up everybody. No, we had a code of conduct. You don't shoot women, children, old people. <laughs> yeah, you don't do that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, no. yeah. You don't do you're that. You're OG, so yeah, it's like yeah. if you see somebody with their girlfriend and their yeah, kids, you, you stop. Don't, you He's a real stop. OG. Yeah, it's, that's, you, if you saying yeah. that, you definitely yeah. OG. Yeah, you don't do that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, it's wild right now. Y'all no, um, definitely need it. We yeah. appreciate y'all oh, for coming you so on. Much. This is such a dope conversation. We appreciate y'all letting us come on like this. Before we wrap, y'all got anything y'all want to say? Where they can find y'all at? You can go you know. <laughs> I was currently hacked on Instagram, everyone. Oh. Just for the record. <laughs> underscore Cynthia underscore Alvarado 221. I managed to get almost 8,000 followers in like nine months. Right. And right now it's being contro controlled by a hacker, but I'm not going to stop until I get my account back because I worked really hard for it. <laughs> but right now you can find me at Cynthia Alvarado Media. Um, I just push my messages out. Right. And I just keep networking and doing a lot of the grassroots works. And um. uh doing working with Cheddar Whale and yeah. trying to you know save our communities but also bring our comrades home and we want to thank yeah. you for having us on it was a pleasure no problem, being man. on we and appreciate thank you, you so much I'll basically say say they she said you always love to piggyback I love them that's cool uh, Mike, you got uh, just real quick any is there any advice that we can it, that we can take back to you know the people we know that were wrongly convicted yes. is there any where we can steer them. Yeah. To, so first, for people first, that's listening. first, we want to let them know that there's real hope right now, even though it might not seem like that in the country because a lot of people are divided. The majority of people right now do not want mass incarceration. Right. right. So it's the, the very few people that control it, like the billionaires, the one percent are, are they're incentivizing mass incarceration. So I think right now we, the people, need to stick together, mm -hmm. be more critical thinkers, less judgmental, and try to understand how a person committed the crime, right? right. Instead of saying, oh, well, you're, you're a violent person. Well, how was your upbringing? You know, what was your socioeconomic class? And stopping and pausing and, and actually thinking and, and trying to look at that person as a human as opposed to the crime. And for the people that are inside, I would tell them that, listen, I've been on a lot of panels there's a lot of people working for them. When I was right. inside, I would have never thought in a million years that people were working the way they're working now. But right. I, I'm getting to see it now. I've sit on panels with a lot of defense attorneys and I see how hard they fight for the women. But the women in there don't know that. Right. And the men like Nathan and your cousin, you know, they don't really see that because they're in there. But people are really fighting that they come home. Right. And on days that they want to lose hope, I would tell them to look at my story that I won. Yeah. Look at Cheddar Whale mm -hmm. to never give up because tomorrow could be different. Yeah. Yeah. And we're fighting for them. Yeah. We are fighting for all of our comrades. Yeah. All of them. Everybody that has life without parole, everybody who has done something bad, we believe that they're not their worst day. Right. You know, and, and we're fighting and that they're not alone and that we love them, you know, and to stay strong because people really do care about them. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> is that it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Episode, episode 136, yeah. Coachly Bias. Uh, Rate, oh review, subscribe. We appreciate y'all. Thank you all Thank for coming. Uh, free all the real, man. That's free all the real. Chat goes down. Free the comrades, man. Free the comrades. Thought it was normal because they left us here. Just for the voices they will never hear. Walking out the courtroom, cameras.